Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week. Do you want to be a part of Something Scary? We have so many ways for you to join us. The easiest way is to join our Patreon. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get access to our members-only Discord and a chance to talk to others who love scary things as much as you do. Second, treat yourself to a something scary cap to keep the sun away this summer, or maybe a cozy hoodie for when the night turns chilly. Go to somethingscary.com and check out our merch. A full moon is upon us. And while many of us look up at the night sky and enjoy the glow of the lunar light, there are others who see it as something much more sinister. It's a sign for all of nature to come out and show their true colors, even if that means showing their evil, murderous selves. Because some things in nature, just like some people, can't help their true essence. Some are just natural-born killers. First, death disguised in beauty, then a killer in plain sight, followed by an urban legend. Finally, in our featured story, the media made a murder. So, wanna hear something scary? Natural born killer. Most things in nature are complicated, having hidden details that are hard to spot at first glance. And you may never know what terrible things can be hidden beneath the most beautiful surface. Like in this story inspired by A.S. Finn was an unusual boy, known for his quiet demeanor and reserved nature. He possessed a unique passion for gardening, finding solace in the quiet beauty of plants while his peers engaged in more typical childhood activities. Unfortunately, Finn's cousin Peter failed to understand his deep connection to the natural world. He would often taunt him and mock his weird hobbies, subjecting him to hurtful names and comments. Even on Finn's 12th birthday, Peter couldn't resist the teasing. It was during this special occasion that Finn's Aunt Olive arrived, carrying a gift that she knew would be treasured by her beloved nephew. Aunt Olive presented Finn with a small package, wrapped elegantly in vibrant paper. Excitement sparkled in Finn's eyes as he eagerly tore it open, 
revealing a packet of seeds nestled within. But these were no ordinary seeds. They were black orchid seeds, a truly unique find. Overwhelmed with joy and gratitude, Finn thanked his aunt with all of his heart, and he heard tales of black orchids but had never actually seen one in person. The flowers were renowned for their exceptional rarity, almost mythical in nature. Finn couldn't wait to plant them and witness the magic unfold right in his own backyard. Days turned into nights as Finn meticulously planted the seeds in a secluded corner of his garden, believing it to be the perfect spot for them to thrive. Much to his surprise, they sprouted within a few days, their tiny shoots emerging from the soil like curious creatures venturing into the world. However, their appearance was far from what Finn had expected. Instead of the vibrant and varied colors typically associated with orchids, these blossoms were as black as the night itself. Unfazed by their unconventional hue, Finn marveled at the stunning beauty of the flowers. He showered them with love and attention, tending to them diligently. As the days passed, the orchids grew at an astonishing rate, their dark petals unfurling and emanating an otherworldly aura. Finn's garden transformed into a sanctuary of twisted elegance, the black orchids standing tall and bewitching all who laid eyes upon them. However, Peter, unable to comprehend the mesmerizing sight before him, continued to mock and taunt Finn. He would sneak into the garden, trampling on the other flowers and destroying the carefully nurtured plants. Despite Finn's tearful pleas for him to stop, Peter reveled in Finn's anguish and continued his destructive behavior. One fateful evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, Peter snuck into the garden once again, fueled by his sadistic cruelty. By this time, the black orchids would not tolerate his behavior. As Peter approached the blooms, their petals twitched and quivered, their dark centers pulsating with a sinister energy. In an instant, their tendrils wrapped themselves around his limbs, ensnaring him in a macabre dance of life and death. Finn, sensing the imminent danger, rushed to the garden, his heart pounding in his chest. Horrified, he beheld the scene before him, Peter struggling, his eyes wide with terror, trapped by the relentless grip of the black orchids, their tendrils constricted tighter and tighter, suffocating him and draining the life from his very being. Frozen in fear, Finn watched as the orchids consumed Peter, their once beautiful blossoms now tainted with the dark crimson of his blood. As the last remnants of his life ebbed away, the orchids released their hold, retreating into the shadows, their thirst for vengeance finally sated. From that day onward, Finn's garden became an eerie place, forever haunted by the memory. No matter how hard he tried to remove the plants, they clung stubbornly to the soil, serving as a constant reminder of the horrors that had transpired. Finn, forever changed by these events, made a solemn vow to protect his garden, honoring the twisted beauty that had exacted its own justice. Years passed, and Finn's garden remained an enigmatic monument to the darkness that lies beneath the surface of the natural world. Visitors would come from near and far to marvel at the black orchids, captivated by their beauty 
yet unsettled by their presence. Although Finn's heart carried the weight of his cousin's demise, he found solace in the fact that his beloved plants had avenged his suffering, forever etching their tale of mystery and horror into the annals of his peculiar life. Have you ever been bullied for liking something different? Would you get revenge if you could? Have you ever witnessed nature's fury? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sometimes those who dish it can't take it and they'll suffer terribly for it. Like in this story inspired by Prince Off Freaks 203. In a hidden village in the heart of Mexico, there lived a woman named Imelda with her three sons, Cash, Carlos, and Diego. Imelda's two older sons were vain, selfish, and lazy, while her youngest son, Diego, had a kind soul and was the hardworking one of the three. Every day when Imelda went to work as a seamstress at a local dress shop, Cash and Carlos made Diego do all the chores on the farm, like feeding the chickens, tending the garden, and cooking dinner for when their mother came home. Diego's cruel brothers even trained the family dog, Roja, to nip at his ankles. The brothers threatened Diego, saying that if he ever told their mother, they would kill him and leave his body for the coyotes. After Imelda left for work one morning, the brothers played around while poor Diego was out feeding the chickens. Someone came by with a delivery of hay and feed. It was a young man named Jorge, about Diego's age and new to the job. He and Diego hit it right off. Diego liked Jorge, but as their conversation continued, his brother set loose Roja, who went snarling after Diego and sent him running into the house. Once inside, the boys began to beat up their youngest brother, telling him he'd forgotten his place. He should have been focused on finishing the chores before their mother got home. That's when they heard the door slam. They'd been too busy chastising Diego to pay attention to the time. It was their mother, and she was furious. The truth came out, and she couldn't believe the horrors Diego had been suffering. If you keep this up, you will summon El Kakue, who will take you away. Cash and Carlos just laughed, saying they were too old for the old boogeyman story. Everyone knew there was no such thing as El Kukue, a terrible monster who was said to live in a cave high up in the hills. 
Stories told of him coming down every night to search for mean and disobedient children and then taking them away to endure terrible punishments. If you don't believe me, then I will show you. Imelda stomped outside and faced the hills where El Kakue was said to live and called out a song. Nothing happened, and Cash and Carlos burst into laughter, telling their mother they told her so. If only they'd known what was about to happen. Later, just past midnight, Cash and Carlos were awoken by a sound outside their window, like something scratching at the wall. Then they heard another noise. It was the front door opening. Scared but curious, Cash and Carlos went out to see what was going on. A shadow filled the doorway. It was huge and monstrous. It didn't seem human. Then it threw something at the boys, blood splashing upon the floor. It landed at their feet in pieces, but they knew right away what it was. Roja, their dog was dead. The thing then came in through the door and became more visible, its image more clear. It was tall and ravenous, standing on the hind legs of a coyote with the tail of a gila monster, the body of a deer and the sharp claws of a wild cat. Atop the body was the skull head of a cow with horns. Its eyes glowed red, almost like looking into hell itself. The two boys knew right away what this creature was, El Kakue. They got on their knees and begged for forgiveness. They begged to be spared, but El Kakue shook his head. It was too late. He heard their mother calling him in the song. But she didn't have to be so loud, he sneered. I was already close to your house. Just as the boys began to weep, El Kakue's monstrous form faded away. In his place was Jorge, though his eyes still glowed red. Cash and Carlos tried to run, but Jorge immediately resumed his true form and quickly ran ahead of the two boys and grabbed them with his tail. They screamed for their mother or Diego to come and save them, but no one came, almost like they were the only ones in the house. With terrifying force, El Cacue stuffed Cash and Carlos into a sack and headed out the door, knowing that when Imelda and Diego woke up in the morning, everything would be fine. El Cacue left the house and headed back up the hills as the brothers' muffled yelling faded into the distance. The next morning as the rooster crowed, Diego went to the kitchen and saw his mother, just his mother. He asked where his brothers were and Imelda looked at him confused. She wanted to know what he was talking about. Were those friends of his? Diego didn't understand. He said their names, Cash and Carlos, his brothers, Diego, what is wrong with you? You are my only child, she said matter-of-factly. Diego was shocked, but understood right away. El Kakue had been there. The stories were true. Imelda then left to go to work and Diego saw her outside. As she left, Jorge arrived with the family's delivery. Sensing something was off, he asked Diego what was wrong. Diego wanted to tell Jorge what had happened to his brothers, but then realized the two people in the world who had given him nothing but grief and misery were gone from his life forever. He was finally free of them and their cruelty. Diego smiled. Nothing's wrong. Everything's just perfecto. 
Have you ever heard of El Kakue? Have you ever done something that would make you scared he might be coming for you next? Many people have bug phobias and being bitten by something poisonous only adds to that fear. Sometimes though, these tiny monsters aren't looking to kill you. They have a reason to keep you alive. As in this story inspired by an old favorite urban legend and written by Janine Pipe. Eden looked over at the lunch table where her best friend Carly was sitting with her new boyfriend Styles and the rest of the football team. It was so cliche and went against everything they joked about for years. While some of their peers would have made a deal with the devil to be popular, Eden and Carly had always been satisfied with each other and concentrating on doing well in school to get into a good college together rather than whose party they were invited to. But that had all changed when Styles joined the team at the start of their senior year. And suddenly, Carly wanted not just him, but the life that came with being the girlfriend of a football player. To start with, Eden fully supported the relationship. She was thrilled for her BFF, but all too soon, Carly couldn't meet up or even talk on the phone because she was with Styles. She couldn't come over to work on projects as she was watching football practice. She couldn't go see a movie as there was a game. Before Eden knew it, she had been replaced. It shouldn't have been a surprise that Carly wanted to go to the dance with Styles. After all, as soon as they announced they were an item, people had already been talking about them being homecoming king and queen. But Eden and Carly had always gone together to school functions since middle school. For the very first time, Eden would have to go alone. Carly hadn't even thought to invite Eden to go with her in a group, but simply stated as they walked into science together that plans had changed. As their teacher talked about insects and life cycles, Eden forced herself not to cry, but it was becoming harder and harder to stay happy for Carly, especially after she begged Eden to change lab partners so she could be with Styles. Eden looked sulkily as the boy next to her was busy doodling in his notebook. Eden was jolted out of her melancholy by a squeal. It had been raining that morning and the classroom floor was damp. A student had brought in a bug hotel as part of their class presentation and had slipped taking it to the front of the room and dropped it smack into Carly's desk where some of its clientele decided to make a run for it. Carly scraped her chair back as fast as she could, pushing herself away from the insects Eden knew she was terrified of. But again, the wet floor made everything harder and a couple of bugs managed to pay her a visit while she screamed and started ripping items of clothing off right in the middle of the classroom. The teacher managed to get Styles to take her to the nurse and soon the rumor spread that she'd been sent to the ER as she'd been covered in bites. That wasn't true, but she was sent home to be able to shower and likely burn her clothing. She came back in on Monday, none the worse, and everything continued in the new normal of her parading down the hallway with the popular kids until around a week later and the day before the dance, I found her alone in the rejects bathroom on the top floor. I opened the stall to go wash my hands and there she was in front of the mirror. I hadn't seen her properly in a few days, so I don't know when exactly it got so big and visible, 
but there was no concealer in the world that was going to cover the huge pimple on her cheek. She looked so miserable as she dabbed at the pulsating red mound that I almost felt sorry for her. That was until she caught my eye in the mirror and said, I've waited my whole life to be homecoming queen. Why have I been cursed with this? She never wanted to be homecoming queen until Styles. I threw the paper towel in the trash and left her. She nervously stepped into the cafeteria around five minutes later, her hair almost completely covering the side of her face with the pimple. In the bright light, I could see she looked flushed too, almost sweaty. Maybe the zit was a sign she was run down. I was thinking when she suddenly clamped a hand to the side of her face and began convulsing. She fell to the floor and her body continued to spasm. Someone got her onto her side, which revealed the gigantic spot. And then it happened. One of the spiders from the Bug Hotel must have been pregnant. But if you think you know this story, well, this was even worse than you could have imagined. The tiny spider that had laid the eggs had been stung by a wasp before depositing its own eggs into the spider's back. The spider that had burrowed into Eden's face had therefore laid its own eggs and dumped off the wasp egg sack. Now as the boil erupted, hundreds of baby spiders came running out, disoriented and hungry. Several ran into her ears and up her nostrils and into her open mouth. They were followed by an angry mob of tiny baby wasps. Many, for some reason, headed straight for Eden's eyes. Someone called the paramedics, but by the time the help arrived, Eden was dead. In the end, they couldn't be sure if her heart stopped due to some sort of toxic reaction to all the tiny bites and stings, or if it was just shock. She just couldn't take being evaded anymore. The last thing she would have seen were the baby wasp burying into her eye sockets. Have you ever been bitten by an unknown bug? Did it get infected? What creatures are you most scared of? Send us a story at somethingscary@snarl.com if you have some gross tales to tell. In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells a tale based on true crime events of the Beware the Card Killer inspired by Sarah, and now animated over on youtube.com slash snarled. While the media may inadvertently feed into the desire for attention that serial killers often crave, it can also inadvertently escalate minor errors into more serious, sinister actions. However, no matter the mistakes made, the inherent evil within these psychopaths cannot be concealed. Cameron's palms were clammy as she sat on the couch in her new boyfriend's apartment. She was trying her best not to look awkward. He was in the kitchen preparing dinner. She glanced around the room feeling butterflies in her stomach. And even though she didn't know Alfie well, she liked what little she did know about him. He was a humanitarian and volunteered at events. He also spent time in the military, but most importantly, he was always polite and respectful, holding doors open and helping people out on the street. His saying was, politeness is most important in life. To distract herself, Cameron picked up a deck of cards off the coffee table, 
hoping that they could play a card game later on. As she started flipping through them and counting the cards, she realized the deck was short. What initially confused her had now caused her to panic frantically as she began searching through the deck. Making a mental note of all the missing cards and counting six of them missing, she also noticed that they were all from the suit of cups. Just as she was about to ask Alfie about the incomplete deck, he called out from the kitchen, announcing that dinner was ready. With adrenaline rushing through her body, she quickly shoved the cards back into their box, tossed them onto the table, and hurried into the kitchen. She could feel the sweat forming from her forehead as she struggled to maintain her composure. Alfie stood there looking handsome, but Cameron noticed for the first time something unsettling behind his eyes. When he asked if she was all right, she forced a smile and replied, yes, I, I'm okay, thank you. Although she was anything but okay. You see, that very morning, she had come across an article in the newspaper about the card killer. The baffling tales of this notorious figure had taken over the headlines and news reports on TV, capturing everyone's attention. Victims ranged from a man walking with his child to a male college student at a bus stop. The killings were brutal, yet seemed unrelated except for one chilling detail, the presence of a playing card left at each crime scene. It began with the Ace of Cups, then moved on to two and then three. Now, Cameron took a sip of water, attempting to calm her racing heartbeat. The newspapers had reported that the killer had been caught, but more victims had surfaced since then, which means that they might've caught the wrong guy. A witness had come forward describing the killer was someone with military training who would greet the victims with a simple hello. He would order them to kneel before ultimately taking their lives. There had been six victims in total, just like she counted earlier. She began to shake. Glancing around the apartment once more, she noticed other strange things. No family photos, a lack of personal belongings, and of course, any small little personal touches to the apartment. Only Alfie's military badges hung on the wall. As Alfie spoke, he kindly requested Cameron's presence in the living room. Instantly, a surge of panic coursed through her brains, but she refused to remain still and seated. And determined not to be an easy target, she summoned her strength and grabbed a glass cup, throwing it at Alfie's head before sprinting out of the apartment. His voice echoed down the hallway as he chased after her, shouting, that wasn't very nice. Where are your manners? The pieces of the puzzle fell into place and she could no longer ignore the ominous clues surrounding her boyfriend. She raced home to her apartment, locked the doors, and called the police. By the time they began looking for Alfie, he had turned himself in and quickly confessed to his crimes. Despite this, Cameron refused to leave her apartment. She struggled to comprehend how close she had come to becoming a victim of the card killer. How could her judgment have been so wrong? How could someone so kind be that evil? Terrified for her life, she watched the news coverage, hoping to gain some understanding. They probed the killer's motives. Why the cards? Why did he mark his victims in such a twisted manner? She desperately needed to know. However, the reality proved to be far more chilling than anyone could fathom. Alfie confessed a morbid curiosity, a desire to experience the act of ending a life to confront the absence or presence of remorse. His initial plan had been to carry out only those murders on the first night, and that was it. No more killing. The card left at the scene was simply an accident. It fell out of his pocket without him knowing. 
But once the news and media outlets had dubbed him the card killer, he became obsessed with living up to the name, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when the detectives asked why he made his victims kneel before him, he responded with an evil grin. Being polite is most important. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalavos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>